I better not stink this morning. How are you guys doing? Okay, seriously, okay, I need to tell you something. I am half Sicilian. Thank you. I am part Apache Indian, English and French. I'd be completely crazy if it wasn't for the English thing. But I need you guys to connect with me. I don't want to be talking by myself in the dark. I need you to hear what I'm saying. I need you to give me some feedback, okay? John, but you get away with being quiet last night? Well, I'm not going to let you get away with being quiet this morning. I want you dangerous and fully awake. I want you alert, okay? So are you going to be with me this morning? Because I can see you out there. If you fall asleep, I will come out there and I will attack you with a sword. My husband says she means, and this is Pam's sword, by the way. In case you thought, I just brought one. No, Pam has them. Pam seems really sweet. She's fierce. You need to understand what you are dealing with. Okay, I'm super excited about being here. I love my pastor. I love that he wrote a book called Letter Lead. And I believe that God is unpacking some things with the women. I believe that we are in a new day and a new age. And I want to open up with Acts 2.17 through 21. I'm going to read you a lot of verses out of the message. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour up my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I will pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both. Another one says alike, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. I believe that we are in this day. I believe we are in a day that is incredible, that it is pregnant with signs and wonders and miracles. I believe we are in a day where no one is unnecessary. No voice should be silenced. I believe it is all hands on deck. It is the older, it is the younger, it is the strength, it is the vision, it is the dream. And I believe as leaders, we should understand that in God's preference of this, it says in the last days, God says, I really believe we need to understand that we are moving into a time period the earth has never seen. I don't know about you, but we can't look side to side or back to go forward. We are going to have to look up. God is doing a new thing. He is not remaking the old thing. And as I just felt like this time of worship today, we're just crying out to God and saying, catch me up in your story. It is not about him blessing our story. It is about God writing a salvation story on the face of the earth. It is about the church rising up to the fullness of stature who God created her to be, which includes both men and women, which includes both young and old, which includes signs and wonders and miracles. I don't know about you, but I didn't become a Christian to be a speaker. I got saved when I was 21 years of age. I came out of the Catholic church my husband is the one who led me to the Lord on my first date. And I spent all that first night looking for the book of Paul. Because he had said, Paul said this, and Paul said that. And so I went back to my college dorm room, took my way Bible, stood it on its spine, said, God, please, I can't find the book of Paul. Can you just open up to the book of Paul? And it opened up to Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all, all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I began to shake. I was like, oh my gosh, God's talking to me. Then I found out that two-thirds of the New Testament was the book of Paul. But the truth is, we cannot lose our awe and wonder. And God wants to speak to you more than you want to hear from him. God is looking for a people who have ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart with enough courage to declare boldly what God is saying. And I'm tired of the church being known for what is it against. Jesus was not known for what he was against. 
Jesus was known for what he is for. And please don't default to, oh, Lisa Bevere is pro-abortion. Lisa Bevere is same-sex marriage. No, I'm neither of those things. But the truth is, Jesus didn't go around talking about what he was against. Jesus went around setting broken people free so they could move out of their captivity into his strength and into his light. And we are the church that has been planted on this earth right now. And the enemy is trapping us with small questions when we have the big answer. And you need to stop getting involved with arguments in the world and just stand on this earth and begin to declare truth. Yeah. All right, so I'm supposed to show pictures. But anyway, do you remember that John lied last night? I mean, you guys knew he was lying. You, come on, come on. It is called G Mama's house at my house, okay? But I do wanna show you something that John didn't show you. I'm gonna show you my grandson Asher a little bit closer and just to kind of give you an idea of what this world looks like. Okay, do you see my grandson there? Do you see he has a scratch on his face? Okay, he's got a little bloody mark. Okay, let me tell you what happened. This year I did both of the Hillsong Color Your World conferences and then I was home for like a week for spring break with my family in Florida and then I went straight from there to Cape Town and then I came over to babysit. They came over and I was babysitting them and Asher shows up with a scratch on his face. And I was like, who did this? Who would dare scratch my grandson's face? I said, is this some kid at daycare that G-Mama needs to talk to? Because I will go there and I will have a discussion. And before Asher could answer me, I saw a hand go up. Can you put up Sophie? Sophie raised her hand. Yeah, Sophie is the one that scratched Asher. Apparently, Asher has a little bit of a challenge with sharing. I, you know, John talked about, you know, Sophie being the first girl born in his family since 1967. Well, this little sweetheart, is the first girl born to my family in more than 50 years. I was the last female that was born in my family. And we kind of thought a gentle breeze was going to blow into our world, a butterfly. I'm sorry, she is meaner than all of the boys put together. But she's a sweet mean. She is a sweet mean. Why? Because there is something woven in this generation that they understand they are not for free, fear and limitations. They understand they are for strength. I believe we are walking the earth in a generation that was created to be heroes, not because of what they can do in their own strength, but because God wants to anoint them for signs and wonders and miracles. And then I've got another picture of Lizzie with Sophie, and they look really cute. You know, I can't even tell you how many times I had to shoot that picture with my iPhone where Lizzie actually looked safe because Sophie was like body slamming her. We're so thankful that Lizzie is now almost four months and she's got a little meat on her. I was worried she wasn't going to survive Sophie's love. But anyway, there is Sophia and there is Lizzie. So this is the first time in my life, because I was the only girl in my family that I've ever experienced sisters. So I'm showing you that, and uh, that really has nothing to do with anything, but I just felt like I needed to take back some ground that John had taken away from me last night. Okay, all right, when I was writing a book called Girls With Swords, I actually got to do a radio interview. Is, have any of you ever, ever done a radio interview? Wave at me. Okay, so just a few people, I know Pastor Brady will understand this. Basically, they ask you to send them a list of questions. So then they read the questions you've sent them during the interview. So basically you're talking to yourself. You, you know, you're asking the questions and you answer the questions that you wanted to answer. That's your typical radio. They don't have time to read a new book every single day before they interview somebody. But not long ago during an interview, the interviewer had actually read my book. And she said, I'm so excited. I read your book. She said, my son is involved in fencing. And she said, you know, I know you know this, but fencing is the only sport women are just as good as men are in. Isn't it just like our God to give a sword of the spirit because he understood that men and women would both need to wield it? But fencing requires three things that women excel in. Intuition, strategy, and endurance. My husband took naps during my labor. I'm like, seriously, I should be the one napping. Why are you taking a nap? I was like, we need to run up and down the stairs. We need to get this baby out. Women can just endure certain things if they understand what is on the other side of it. And so she said, I'm super excited. She began to tell me a story about her son. She said her son had to work his way up to the master level instructor, fencing person-ish, whatever that is, is instruction and just happened to be at this studio, a woman. 
And so he was showing off all of his best moves, busting out what he thought would impress the instructor. And she said, you know what? Okay, this is what I need you to do. Over the weekend, I need you to practice your on guard pose. And he was like, okay, and, and what else? Well, I don't know if you, what on guard, if you know what on guard is, but it's basically how you start the match. It's basically you go on guard. And so he was like, that's so stupid. That's the very first thing I learned. So all weekend he kind of mocked it. He'd go to his mom, on guard. He'd go to the mirror, on guard. He'd look at his young, younger sister, on guard. And he came back and his instructor said, show me your on guard pose. And so he struck it and she said, you didn't take me serious, did you? And he said, well, it was what I first learned. I thought you were going to show me something I could actually use. She said, well, you don't understand the importance of knowing what your opponent sees when he looks at you. And I am afraid too many in people in the church do not understand what the enemy sees when he looks at us. He sees a church waking up. He sees a church rising up. He sees a church understanding that they can no longer look at the mirror of the world or the natural mirror. But there is a mirror you must look in if you are going to let God do a new thing in your life. And that mirror is found in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. We're going to read it super quick. It says, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and I'd like to do this at the women's conference, I say she is like a man. But anyway, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know what? The key is found in the terms looks at and looks into. I love shopping at Target. Target is one of my favorite places to go. Target and Whole Foods, they are my default stores. Anyway, basically, when I go to Target, though, I am very strategic about what checkout line I pick. I do not go through the line where they have the sodas. I go through the line where they have all of the magazine covers. Why? because I wanna look at the magazine covers. I wanna know, hey, Brad and Angelina just got married. Oh, Kanye and Kim, they're pregnant again. I'm just gonna look at the magazine covers. But I don't look at the word of God. I look into the word of God. The word of God becomes my filter. It becomes my frame of reference. It's become everything I look through to see what is on the other side. See, everything we look at is temporal, but everything that we look through, the word of God is going through an eternal place. We must be a people who begin to look through the word of God. I can look at my watch. I can see it's five after. But if I want to look into my watch, I'm going to have to some tools. I'm going to be able to take it apart. And not only am I going to take it apart, I'm going to know how it works. You need to be able to take apart the word of God. You can't just study a message. You have to be a message. You have to be the word of God made flesh. When you read the word, it isn't just to get a sermon. It's to live a sermon. The world is out there watching and waiting for the church to actually love one another. For the church to actually do relationship well. The church is looking really not like Jesus right now. In a lot of ways, even though we've got cooler music, even though we've got presence in social media, you need to understand, I am not content with 160, I don't even know, John's got 160 followers. I think I have 120, okay, 100,000, sorry. 160,000, John corrected me, followers, and I have 120,000 followers on Twitter. But you know what, social media is very dangerous. Because if you listen too long about what other people say about you, you forget who you are. And if you are content with the praises of people, sometimes you'll settle for the praises of people when God is asking you to show his glory. And so I wanna talk about what this might look like in a practical, worked out relationship. Because all of our life is a, collective, a collection of relationships. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. I am the most amazing people on the face of the earth. I am a grandparent. Come on, who would you rather go shopping with? Your mother or your grandmother? 
you know the grandmothers are much more generous because we can't see the prices. So you know that you would rather go shopping with me. But the truth is, we need to do this well. And so I'm going to unpack some stuff, believing that my words will catch something and bring us back to a place where we can do this well. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, said God created human beings. Right there, God created human beings. We were his idea. We did not like evolve. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. Another version says, God created us in his image, male and female. I wanna pause there a moment. Any attack on gender is an attack on the image of God. We need to understand that. We need women who are women and men who are men. But everything in our world is trying to get the men to be more feminine and the women to be more masculine, hoping that if they kind of meet in the middle or are she-man, then we'll have some kind of like connection of strength. No, we need the men to understand what their strengths are, the women to understand what their strengths are, and both of those strengths reflect the image of God. Okay, so attack on gender is an attack on the image of God. It isn't just, I'm confused. It is, I'm sorry, you were created by God to express his glory in your unique gender package. God blessed them, not just the man, not just the woman. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds of the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And God looked over everything he had made, and it was so good, so very good. So what does this tell us? Healthy, God-blessed relationships, marriages, families, churches, prosper, reproduce, invade space, displace chaos, fill the earth, take responsibility, and exercise authority. When God sees these kind of relationships, and it does need to be men and women together, God calls it excellent in every way or so very good. See, from the very beginning or genesis of our time, men and women were created to do life together. And our marriages were never meant to be a power struggle. They were meant to be a power union. Do you know that God created woman as the answer to the very first problem? Do you know that? Do you know that before there was a fall, there was a problem? Do you know what that problem was? It is not good for the man to be alone. I came home after 12 days away, and what I found on Sunday night was not good. I'm like, has nobody wiped down the table? Did nobody notice there's like layers of scary stuff on the countertops? I boiled water. I just began to pour it over there and just took things and just like anything just needs to die that was on this counter. But the truth is, we don't get this. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but 80 to 90% of the violent crimes that are committed in our nation are created, I mean, are committed by single men. Do you know that married men live 10 years longer than single men? Now, the Bible doesn't say it's not good for women to be alone. Look at the spa. You can understand it is good for women to be alone. Single women and married women die at the same age the truth. Do you know getting married, do you know getting married will add to a man's earning potential at the same level if he has a graduate degree, I mean, if he has only a bachelor's, it'll add graduate. It adds something like, something like three times his earning potential. Why? Because women add purpose to a man's labor. They take care of him. They actually do what their DNA says they would do. When you look at a man, 
and I'm hoping it stays this way with pot becoming legal. I'm a little concerned, but the man's chromosome structure is X and Y in Colorado right now. <laughs> and the woman's chromosome structure is what? X, X. Well, that's what women are supposed to do. We're supposed to multiply everything that comes in contact with us. John showed a picture of our family last night. Okay, listen, he was the only son of five children. His name, Bevere, was going to die. I said, give me that last name. And I gave him four sons with the last name. And whenever I get away with it, I try to claim the grandchildren too. I am his X factor. Everything he gives me, I take it and I increase it. He gives me money. I go to Whole Foods. I bring home herbs. I make pesto. He tries to find out how I do it. I'm like, no way, no way. I am your good thing. You need to understand. I'm not gonna teach you how to make pesto. You are just gonna have to rely on me on this. But how many of you know the fall messed up a bunch of areas in our lives? The fall messed up our relationship with the living God. And now there was a breach between God's children and God the Father. But it didn't just stop there. It messed up the relationship between brother and brother, sister and sister, people to the earth, and parents to the children. And so what we have to do as a church, is we need to preach the gospel to all that was lost. My Bible said that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, not just the lost. We've done a really good job saying if you're lost, you can have a relationship with Jesus, but the world is watching us how we do our relationship one with another. And so we must begin to preach to the relationships, sister to sister, brother to brother, people to the earth, husbands and wives, and parents to children. Because we all know as leaders, it doesn't matter how many books we write. It doesn't matter how amazing we can communicate. If we do not love well, if John and I end up with a scandal and I have to shoot him, there is going to be a problem. All of a sudden, our books are going to be given away. They're going to be burned. Everything we've ever labored for is going to be lost if we do not love one another well. Okay, so, all right, you guys are so awake. I'm so proud of you. Okay, so God gave the woman to the man so that together they could be very, very good. So now, I'm gonna now break this down to an embarrassing level, and I'm going to make it practical because we can talk about things in the ethereal realm, and then you can say that's an, a great concept, but if you can't live it out, then it's not a word made flesh. So John led me to the Lord on our first date, 21 years of age. And we got, thank you, honey. I owe you forever. And then we also, we also um, went to premarital counseling and did not pay attention. To be honest with you, we were like, this is just something we have to do so we can start having sex soon. Anyway, we just sat there. We didn't really pay attention. They made it sound like we'd have arguments and disagreements. And we were like, you know, that's for the other people. That is for the people that God didn't put together. But John and I, you know, God put us together. Like we will never disagree about anything except for salad dressings because John likes Thousand, Thousand Island and that's disgusting. And so I'm just going to teach him the ways of balsamic and everything will be great. It'll be awesome. But about three months into our marriage, something happened. I had a vision. It was the vision of a perfect man. This man looked like my husband, but he did not act like my husband. That was when I received my calling from heaven to change my husband from the man that he was to the man he could be if he would just work with me. I started gentle, like John, chew with your mouth shut. But then it started to get more aggressive and more determined. I couldn't understand why his mother had not figured out some of these things and changed them. One night I fell into the toilet one too many times in the dark and I remember coming into the bedroom, whipping back the sheets and I sat on him at that wet bottom. Gotta be honest with you, 
it cured him. It totally, it, it totally cured him. He hasn't done that for a really long time. So anyway, John, okay, you need to come back from that image. Okay, I'm sorry, that was, that was mean. Okay, John also had a vision of his own. Visions of a sweet, submissive, supportive wife. And we began to fight. You totally had visions of it. We began to fight like you cannot believe. You know, when you don't have children around to watch you, you can do some really stupid things. And I remember we were having this major disagreement, and John said, you're not leaving the room until we settle this. And he made his body a letter X in the doorway like this. Okay, now I know you just met me, but what do you think that would inspire in me? Do you think that would make me say, sure, honey, I'll sit down right now? No, you know what I did? I backed up into the furthest corner I could find in the room, and I did a running start in his direction, and I tackled him. And then I stood over him, and I said, no man keeps me in a room I don't want to be in. Another time, we were having another disagreement, and he said, sit down. And I said, and I started to move and I was moving kind of too fast this way and he kind of pushed me to get me to sit down and only half of my bottom made it to the bed and I fell on the floor and I came up with a lamp in my hands. Now I'd like to say it was a table lamp but it was a floor lamp. It was like a three to four foot floor lamp and it was over my head before I even knew what had happened. John looked at me in terror in his eyes. He was like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know. I, I don't even know how it got in my hand. He said, can you put it down? I'm like, yes, I can put it down. So I put it down, went out to lunch with one of my sweeter Christian sisters. And I said to her, hey, 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 uh, Annette, have you ever like, been in a disagreement with your husband? All of a sudden you had a lamp in your hands? She was like, no. And I said, me neither. Me neither. We would never fight like that. Not John and I. God put us together. We would argue all the way to church. And then when we hit the parking lot, a miracle would happen. And we'd begin to wave like Ken and Barbie. Praise the Lord. Let's go to lunch. Hallelujah. I mean, just what in the world? And then we would sit during church service in constant body contact. People just thought, look at them. They just can't keep their hands off of each other. But the truth is, we were communicating. When the pastor would say, husbands, love your wives, I would grab John's knee in a death grip. Like, I hope you heard that. When they would say things like, wives, submit, John would almost break my fingers. People would say, I can just see the hand of God hovering over this couple. Yeah, he was getting ready to smack us both in the head. It was absolutely ridiculous. John's favorite scripture, I'm not going to put it up there because I can quote it from memory, was found in Proverbs 21, verse 9. It is better to dwell on the corner of a rooftop than with a nagging, fault-finding wife. And I would say, just get on up there because I am not stopping. I'm not stopping. I'm going to transform you into my image of what you should look like. My favorite scripture in the time was also from the Old Testament, Malachi 2.14. You are dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. (laughs) Two people with God's word, taking each other out at the knees, experts in one another's weaknesses instead of experts in one another's strengths. After four years, we're like, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But we didn't know how to make a transition. We stopped fighting, but we lived in the aftermath of broken windows. I broke a window. Broken windows, dented refrigerators. I dented, I think, two? Did I just do one twice or two? One. One twice. Okay, I threw a Corel plate. They're not supposed to break. Anyway, I um, I remember we just said, this is, This is not fun. And then in year eight, we said it's time that we begin to rise and build. 
Now, I want to talk to you about why that is really important. See, women need to be part of what God is doing in these last days. Jesus is coming back for a bride. And I don't know how many guys know how to accessorize a bride well. I really feel like if Jesus is coming back for a bride, then we're going to need the women involved to understand how a bride gets herself ready. I wrote a book out there called Linus Arising, and actually I brought this as a curriculum because I, I really am hoping that some of you are going to go home and get your women in their positions of strength. Now you're probably afraid after the stories I've told you, but we're going we're gonna to come on the other side of that. But I, um, I wrote a book called Linus Arising, and, and my life is a little bit crazy. And so I like, was praying after the book was already out, after it was in five languages. I was driving my car here on Chapel Hill's Road, and I said, God, um, listen, this is kind of an after-the-fact prayer, but I wrote a book called Linus Arising. I know you told me to preach that as a message. Is that okay? Is it okay? Can I get a confirmation that you're okay with me writing a book? I should have asked you beforehand, but it's, it's already out there. So if you could just give me a confirmation, that would be so helpful. And so that night, I was in the throes of a school project with my youngest son. Only people who live in Colorado will completely understand that. Eight o'clock at night, my youngest son said, I just remember I have a school project due tomorrow. I went down into our basement I tore apart all the older brother's school projects. I brought him the poster board. He was like, nope, it's not right. It needs to be like a trifold, and it can't be white. It has to be black. So what did I do? I braved a blizzard. But before I left, I paid my other children money to cut out pictures out of magazines. I had it all spread out on the table. They're navigating the project when John calls. Now, John had what I used to say was an annoying habit, but I've just learned if you've been married for more than 10 years and it hasn't stopped, you need to call it cute. It is not going to stop. So my husband had what I formerly called annoying, now I've decided is cute, habit of calling me and putting me on the phone with strangers. People that had never met me, people that didn't want to meet me. I don't know if John was in awkward situations. He was like, here, talk to my wife. Anyway, he would call me and put me on the phone with people. And so he calls and he's like, hey, babe, I have someone that you want to talk to. I'm like, are you kidding? No, I'm in the throes of a school project. We are not talking to random strangers that don't want to talk to me. He's like, no, I'm not going to have him. He's good. I gave him your cell phone. He's going to call you later. I'm like, what? You gave him my cell phone. And so this guy calls. And when I answer, I tried to sound really tired. I was like, hello. And he was like, is this, is this Lisa Bavier? I was like, yes. He said, well, your, your husband held up your book tonight, Lioness Arising. And he said that lions are the best killers and lionesses are the best hunters. I said, of, of course he would say that. That's all he knows. He hasn't read the book. And he said, he said, well, I'm calling you to tell you why your book is important. He said, do you know we are not winning the war in Afghanistan? I said, yes, I did know that. And he said, do you want to know why we're not winning the war? I thought, yes, in the middle of my son's school project, I must know why the United States of America is not winning this war. <laughs> he said, well, part of the reason we're not winning the war is we can't speak to their women. He said, when you can't speak to the women, you can't flip the culture. And when you can't flip the culture, you can't win a war. He said, let me tell you what I do here at Fort Bragg. He said, I'm in charge of special operative teams. He said, up until this point, we have focused on the men because of the dangers of sending women into Afghanistan. He said, but now we are sending in special operative women who will tell the Afghan women they have voice and value will take care of their minor medical needs, will deliver their babies and tell them why democracy will serve their sons and daughters well. He said, do you want to know the name of this group? I said, sure. He said, they're called Team Lioness. They're about ready to be deployed. May I have a copy of your book for all of them? So I got to outfit Team Lioness going out of Fort Bragg. Then I got to outfit Team Lioness going out of Camp Lejeune. Why am I telling you this? Because if the U.S. military understands that without the involvement of women, you will fight, but you will never win, that it is time that we in the church bring alongside the women so we no longer just fight, but we begin to win. 
And I want to show you a picture that I believe the enemy is terrified of seeing realized in our lives. Mr. Arden, can you find my lions for me? There we go. He does not want to see men and women face to face, strength to strength. Let me just tell you something. Lions do not dominate lionesses. They actually fight the other lions to enjoy the provision and the legacy that the lioness gives them. Lions basically sit in the sun, scare off hyenas, but the lionesses feed them and cause legacy and reproduction to happen. We need to understand the enemy does not want to see us in our positions of strength. He wants us to imagine that we are enemies when the truth is men and women are intimate allies. And the fall as it originated the battle of the sexes. There was no battle before the fall. So I'm going to go ahead and break down a little bit more of the strengths of the man and the strengths of the women. Men are really good at something called structure. John mentioned it last night. We were doing the marriage thing together. I drove him crazy. I had like random stories just woven like, wouldn't this be a nice story? And John would be like, where? Where would that fit in? Where would we be going with that? We would send it all to Addison for him to merge. He would say, somebody sent in this incredibly random story. I'm like, what do you mean somebody? You know it was me. It wouldn't be your dad being random. Of course that was me. Just dump it if you don't like it. But yeah, women, women need structure. I like to think of John as like a coloring book. He's like the black and white outline. But you know what? A coloring book without crayons is boring. I'm not gray. I am the crayons in his life. I am the one that comes along and says, baby, I love all this structure you got going, but this is boring. You need a little bit of color over here and let me do a little sunshine over here and let's just make your world very vibrant. That's what women are supposed to do. We have something called nurture, which is to create an environment for whatever you give us to flourish. When my boys were little, I bought hundreds of dollars worth of Legos. When John tried to sell them in the garage sale, I said, absolutely not. I am going to be the favorite grandmother. I'm keeping every piece of Legos here in my house. And so they come over, it's like Lego world. When my children were little and John traveled, this is before cell phones. Do you guys remember even that? before cell phones? Okay, he would land in Orlando, it's before we moved here, and he would call me from the payphone, and he'd say, babe, I just want you to know I just landed. I'm on my way home. What he was really saying was, sweetheart, I know you have no concept of time. I know the children are running through the house naked. I know you probably haven't taken a shower in two days, and you probably decided to lay tile while I was gone. You got 45 minutes to get this straight before I arrive. So I would hang up the phone, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, boys, dad is on his way home. Everybody going to high alert, they'd all be running, everybody scampering me, brushing my teeth, trying to get, so I wasn't a hygiene, you know, threat to people anyway. So then, you know, my boys would always want to build something for John, and they would build Lego towers. They would like build a small base and then they'd build these really tall towers when they were young. And John would come in, he would look at the towers. He had explained to me that it was okay that somebody lost. As a woman, I don't understand that. I think everybody should get first place. Everybody should get the same award. He was like, no, all of my boys want to do two things. They want to make me proud and they want to beat me and I'm going to make them earn both of those. So anyway, I didn't understand that. But anyway, so he'd kind of award the tallest tower. And then my boys would do something interesting. They'd get a car out of the toy box, back it up. It didn't even have to have a person in it. Back it up, and they would crash it into the Lego towers. It would all about being big and then a big crash. One time, and it was only one time, I was allowed to babysit my friend's daughter. She came over to the house, and she didn't build towers. She built rooms. She actually had rectangles, and she got out tables and chairs and beds. And she got off the girl dolls that never got any playtime at my house. And she sat them at the table. And she sat them with the guys. And they even held hands. My boys watched in terror. They were like, what are you doing? You're defiling our Legos. And she somehow knew she had some kind of power with what she was doing. And she took the girl Lego. And she took the guy Lego. 
and she made them kiss. They were like, ah, they were freaked out. Well, that's what women do. We are the relational connections. And we understand that some people need to be put down for a nap. And other people need to sit across the table with one another and hold hands. We understand there needs to be some kissing in the house of God. See, men are really good at building big. But if you don't involve the women, you build big, but you don't build safe. Women build safe, men build big. When you have both of these together, you have a household and a church and a city that is strong. Awesome. There we go. The man guards the house. The woman guards the heart. The man is supposed to use his strength to guard something that has structure, something that he is building. The woman uses her strength to guard the man's heart. The woman's strength is emotional strength. The man's strength is physical strength. Let me just say this to you women. There is no more noble charge than being commissioned as the guardian of your husband's heart, your children's heart, your friend's heart, your church's heart, your city's heart. We need to understand women get the issues of the heart. And I told you that women can be multipliers. But the truth is, if you take one times one, you get a unified factor. But if you take one times a half, you get a division factor. And for too long, the women have been broken. And when women who are broken come into the equation, they don't multiply, they divide. That is why God is focusing on healing his daughters. That is why he's saying, okay, wait a minute. As I build my church, I'm going to have to actually do a quick healing with my daughters. I'm going to have to tell them they're lovely. I'm going to have to tell them they're necessary. I'm going to have to tell them their answers to problems. I'm going to have to undo all the lies that the feminists said to them that if they wanted to be powerful as a woman, they needed to act like a man. I'm going to actually restructure what it looks like to be the powerful woman that I created them to be. He's bringing the women alongside the men so that together he can do something magnificent. The man has external strength and the woman has internal strength. The two most powerful uh, muscles in the human body are the uterus and the tongue. Sorry guys, it's really all about us when they're talking about strength. But it's interesting to me what we say and what we give life to. These are the two things that are involuntary. And we women need to begin to watch over what we say. Because Proverbs 14.1 says, wise women build the house. They don't nag what is not. They speak to what will be. They do not criticize what is not yet. They prophesy what will be, what might be. They begin to create a lot of room. They build the house. So what do wise men do? They build their women. Because if you build your women, they will build your house. Men are strong extending. Women are strong holding things close. You know, I breastfed all of my boys until they asked me to stop. They were like, we're not doing this anymore. Mom, you know, this is, we learned from other kids in the nursery that they stopped it too. Why are we still doing this for you? Well, I just loved holding my kids close. I could make pasta while I was nursing the kids. I barely even noticed because women are always strong holding things close to the heart. But John didn't hold the boys close to the heart. He threw them up in the air. He put them on top of his head. He put them on his feet. He spun them around in circles. Why? Men are going to always push the comfort boundaries. But once you push a boundary, then you've got to reestablish what the heart of the reason is that you're pushing it. So we need both of that. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20 said, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. Can I just stop there? Notice it doesn't say, God is giving us the task of telling everyone what not to do. God is giving us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. Another version says ambassadors. God uses us, you and me, to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right 
between them. We are supposed to be persuasive influencers. Everywhere we go, people are supposed to look at us and say, there is something about you that I want. You know, my father died a couple years ago and I mean, John was not here when my, he was not home when my father died. He's in Florida. He died in Florida. I was here in Colorado. My husband was, I think, also in Florida, but not the same city. Anyway, he came home shortly after that, and we went to Hawaii to speak at a conference. And I remember after, a, when a family member dies like that, you kind of just see whoever's in front of you. And my husband and I were on the plane flying to Hawaii, and my husband had very sweetly packed me an almond and fig jelly sandwich. Why don't you do that anymore? Anyway, he had packed me uh, uh, almond butter and fig sandwich, and we got on the plane, and, you know, plain food is horrible. And he turned to me, and he said, I packed you a sandwich. I was like, thank you. And, like, he'd cut it. He'd brought napkins. It was all amazing. We're eating a sandwich. And then I had a lemon tree that only gets one lemon per year, and he was like, I saw your lemon was going to get ripe, you know, overripe while we were gone, so I picked your lemon. I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. So we, like, had my lemon, and I thought it was just the two of us. But the truth is, everybody in first class was watching us. And we didn't know that until we had a mechanical, and we were laid over in San Francisco for about five hours. And we found our, all, all of ourselves in the red carpet club. And now all of a sudden, we have a couple that are like, hey, we need you to pray for my wife. She's got something going on with her eyes. Can you pray for our marriage? By the time we boarded back into the plane, John and I basically, once they turned off the seatbelt sign, we turned around and took over the entire first class, preaching the gospel to people. People were crying. We were praying for people. It was amazing. Now, we were not being weird, but we were bringing the wonder of God. People wanted to hear what we had to say because they saw how we interacted with one another. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say if you do not first show that you are loving. They're watching and waiting for us to do relationships well because we were created for relationships. And submission means under assignment. What is the assignment we have? Well, if Jesus came to restore what was lost, we go back to Genesis. And we understand that God is once again asking us to cause multiplication, to cause order, to speak hope to the hopeless, to speak life to the dead, to speak love to people that are so terrified right now. We live in a day and age where people's hearts are failing them because of fear. And we alone can be the ones that say, fear not. Why? Because we were created for this moment. The greatest days for the church are yet before us. Because the grosser the darkness, the greater the glory that rises within God's people. These are not the days where we're supposed to be afraid and wondering what is going on. These are the days that we begin to rise up in signs and wonders and miracles. And sometimes the greatest sign and wonder miracle God can ever do on your life is teach you how to love one another teach you how to love the people in your church, teach you how to love your children, teach you how to recover what's been lost. As I close, I'm gonna ask you to do a couple things and people always get awkward as soon as you find out you're gonna actually make them do something. But I like to feel like we don't just hear it, but that we seal it with prayer. So um, I, want to, I want to have every married couple stand up and face one another. And if you're by yourself and your husband's not here, your wife's not here, don't stand up. It'll just be awkward. Okay, but if, if you're married and you can look at each other, that would be so awesome. Come on, look at each other if you're married. All right, this is so great. Everybody look at each other. Okay. I believe that women can build with their words. So I'm going to put some words in your mouth because maybe nobody ever taught you how to build with your words. I didn't know how to build with my words. I thought that my job was to tear John down, keep him humble, keep him like on the straight and narrow so that he didn't run off and go wild with all of the accolades he was getting on the road. I didn't understand that he didn't care what everybody else said about him. He only cared what I said about him. Okay? So I love you. Okay, so anyway, I want, I want the women to look at the men and say, hey, babe. Come on, you can say this. Hey, babe, you're married. You can say, hey, babe. Say, I just found out that I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> Forgive me for the times I've used my strengths 
to point out your weaknesses. From now on, I'm gonna multiply your life. I'm gonna be your X factor. You are a sexy hunk of man. Just say it, just say it, they like it, all right. Guys, look at your wife and say, babe, thank you for adding 10 years to my life. Forgive me for the times I've used my strengths to point out your weaknesses. From now on, I'm gonna surround you with my strength and create an environment for your gift to flourish. I need you. You are my favor with God. You are a treasure. I thank you, Father, for each and every one of these couples that the power of dominion would come back in their life. There would no longer be manipulation and domination, but they would be two with one heart in Jesus' name. And everybody agrees, say amen and amen. If you're 35 and under, I want you to stand to your feet. If you're married and 35 and under, stand to your feet. You can't be 35 and under in the spirit. It just needs to be 35 and under. Okay. Okay, look at me. 35 and under, I want to do a grandmother press blessing, okay? Let me just tell you something. I have a really hard time seeing things that are small print and are up close. But my ability to see what is in the distance grows with every year. May you see up close what other generations have only seen in a distance. May you speak out loud what other generations only whispered in prayer. May you lay hold of with your hands what others have only dared to handle in the spirit. You are for signs and wonders and miracles. May you realize who you are. May you understand that you are not entitled, but you are empowered. May you walk in all that God has anointed you to walk in. May you do life so well. May you do it in strength. May you do it in blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody agrees, say amen and amen.